Thank you for tuning in to the Biz Jitsu Podcast. This is Vince Pakleb, your host. This is the podcast where we talk all things business and all things jujitsu. We hope you enjoy the show. So a couple things. Number one, man, I'm, I'm excited to spend some time with you today. You got your information from, from your guy, Eric. And Eric did some prospecting to me, uh, just a, uh, a testament of his, his salesmanship. We had connected on the LinkedIn group. He had prospected uh, me and asked me, hey, if I knew anybody that was you know looking to do some screen printing. At the time, this concept uh, was still coming together. And I put in some thought. I'm like, man, you know what? I, I would be interested in talking talking through it. Being he was a, a brown belt, and it really lines up with just the brand and what we're trying to accomplish, right? Biz Jitsu, our goal is to uh, be able to work and support and generate leads for jiu-jitsu inspired businesses and, and business owners that practice jiu-jitsu and happen to have a business. And, you know, I'm a small business owner. I'm also an executive for a franchise company. And, you know, the need for new leads and a sales process is critical. And I figured, hey, you know what? There's tons of people in the jiu-jitsu world that own businesses. Like, let's just create conversations around that and see if we can't uh, support one another. So Eric reached out to me. I, th- you know, I thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to be giving my business to somebody and creating some, uh, some merch anyways and started the process. He's been fantastic. And, you know, as we've been talking more and more about the concept and he's just been as- asking questions, he's really a sponge, just asking questions and trying to learn more about um, what I'm trying to accomplish and, and and what the the goal of this podcast is trying to accomplish, man, he was saying, man, you got to you got to talk to Dan. I got to connect you with Dan, man. Wait till you hear Dan's story. And, you know, the, the company um, and the organization combat corner, you know, it sounds like you guys are building a, f- a fantastic culture. And, you know, a lot of that is just a reflection of your leadership. And, you know, I've been doing a little bit of homework uh, on you and I'm, I'm really pumped to hear uh, just the story of how everything um, has come together and kind of kind of where you're at. So, I mean, we're live. If we want to just go ahead and jump jump right in, I mean, in. I think it's I, love I think it's really cool the way that you you and Eric kind of organically cre- came to you know work together. Also, Eric is one of our newest uh, account managers, so it is great to hear that he is doing well and that you know he's out there grinding and stuff like that. He's actually running in one of the newest divisions of our company too, which um, we've been screen printing forever. We've been screen print. We have a full scale in-house screen printing division mm-hmm. that we primarily marketed and did our own stuff and then did a ton of businesses locally and you know uh, industry businesses and you know combat sports. But we recently broke it off into the undefeated uh, screen printing business where we're really targeting and focusing on growing that as its own. But it's still located in here. It's still a combat corner company. Um, this is kind of his own thing. So he's actually one of the, the first reps that are only working for that portion of the business. All of my other account managers sell for our martial arts products but additionally screen printing. So that's kind of cool to find out that, you know, your relationship with him was from him reaching out. You guys came to, uh, you know, an agreement to, to do some products and stuff like that. And then we're here. So I think that's yeah, it's fantastic. Cool. And, and, you know, it's, it's, it's super cool, right? Because again, the, the spirit of what we're trying to accomplish is support BJJ owned businesses and people that are out there hustling, looking to generate, lead flow and generate business for maybe a company that they're working for in this case, Eric. And when I started to hear just about what, what you guys are doing and, and combat corner as a whole, and as I did some more homework, I realized, wow, there's several brands and you guys have launched several things. I mean, you know, in the combat sports space, in the jiu-jitsu space, very interested in hearing about, you know, you, you've 
really been a pioneer of BGJ and MMA there in Milwaukee uh, through your tournaments and and the products that you that you generate and, and the and the relationships that you have. I've I looked at kind of your roster of of sponsors and or the people that you sponsor. And man, it's phenomenal what you're what you're doing. So, I mean, let's jump right in. So, tell me tell me about Combat Corner, how it started. I, I read a little bit about the history, but I always love hearing the origin story directly from from the founder. So, I mean, going way back, like I, I've always been, you know, kind of uh, an entrepreneur uh, by nature. My family, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. So every hobby I was into as a kid, I tried to turn into a business. I don't know. It was just in my nature. So really my martial arts journey started later than most. I think I was like 18 years old when I started training. But back in the early 2000s, that's when a lot of people actually started training. There wasn't a lot of kids in, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Thai boxing, MMA stuff, like things like that. So I was, I think I was training maybe like four years at the time. I was working as an auto mechanic. I had at that time turned pro. I was fighting, making no money. There was no money to, to make in that. I mean, I was like $500 a fight type <laughs> sure. thing. And uh, I got uh, I got injured. I, I actually broke my jaw. <laughs> um, so um, my jaw so, was, was where I shot. Was that in training or uh, training? no? It was not in training. Um, it, it was it was in a, a, a an altercation where I got sucker punched from behind and it broke my jaw. It was right. actually only a week after one of my I think my third or fourth pro fight. So it was kind of ridiculous that I got hurt like that. But it, but it's it's part of the reason why this company started. It, uh-huh. I had a long layoff where I couldn't train because it was wired shut. So uh, I tried to continue to do my strength and conditioning and things like that, but I was just losing way too much weight. Cause it was all I was eating was liquids. So me and uh, my uh, trainer at the time, uh, Duke Rufus, uh, we were driving around and we were talking about, you know, business and ideas and stuff like that. And I, you know, brought up the idea of opening a store selling gear and equipment, you know, because there was nowhere to buy that stuff at the time. There was only a few brands even that were really available in the U S and uh, you know, we drove past a few places. I saw a few open things. Three weeks later, we were open. <laughs> That's how okay. crazy it kind of was. So we went from, you know, the idea to, you know, signing a lease to building it out to getting inventory and merchandise and having, you know, really basic systems in place of how to sell those products. So really, we started as a retailer. Um, we carried, you know, some of those old legacy brands you could think of, say, like, you know, Everlast, Ringside, Title, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And for Geese, I think at the time we were carrying like, uh, it's kind of funny, they're still around and everyone everyone knows them. They're owned by Century now. So I don't, you know, they're not a respectable company in my opinion, as respectable company as a hardcore um, would be Gameness. But Gameness was one of the American brands at the time that was mm-hmm. doing jujitsu products. You know what I mean? So we carried, I would say, you know, 30 or 40 different brands throughout that first year. And then we decided, Hey, I'm seeing, you know, where these brands are lacking, not only in the product themselves, but a lot of times in the customer service in the ordering and inventory, like a lot of them were pretty bad at what they did, but they, they, there was not much competition. So instead of being out of stock and complaining about it, we, we started to make some of our own things. Um, and that's why combat corner exists It's a house brand originally. Um, and we were a store on the corner, combat corner. So that's really the origin. Um, and, uh, we took that type of stuff and then we continued to elevate. Right. So through the first, I'd say three years of making our own stuff, it was the product that was available at, you know, a price that might be a little bit less than the name brand at the time. And then slowly we decided like, as we elevated and started really focusing on product quality, um, and focusing on materials. And I, I really learned the craft of product design. 
And I think, you know, everything comes from inspiration somewhere. So like the idea of pure originality doesn't really exist. The idea is like the things that, you know, are in front of you are what you experience. And then what you can take of that and adjust and make it your own is what creates new things, right? In music and art and whatever. So that's kind of the way I looked at that. And we kind of built our own stuff. And uh, as the sales started to increase on our own things, we slowly started working out the old brands and we did start creating some additional brands as well under our own umbrella. So I think, I believe right now we have about eight nam- brand names we operate under mm-hmm. combat corner being the main parent brand. Um, but say for like jujitsu, we do own BJJ life, which is a company that I actually started separate of this with one of my buddies. And we did a lot of novelty stuff originally in like 2007, 2008 is when we started that. And back then, like everything was like hardcore jujitsu brands. So like being funny and being clever, wasn't really, but it, I mean, right now there's tons of brands that exist like that, but like sure. really they didn't exist back then. So we did that for about three or four years. Um, and he ended up moving. He works for HubSpot now, actually. I consumed that brand into Combat Corner and we kind of morphed that brand into uh, a normal jujitsu brand and lifestyle brand because that whole area of novelty was kind of flooded. Wow. At that point. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I want to I want to go back real quick, just if we could rewind to the you're driving around. First off, sorry, I'm all over the like no, I, I, I zoom through everything. No, I love this, man. This is fantastic. Uh, so go back. You were training. You had your your professional your professional careers off the ground. You're training at Rufus Sport, Duke Rufus, friends and and, and trainer at the time. You ran yeah. a random idea, and three weeks later, you opened a business. Three weeks later, it's so, it's. Uh, the only, I think sometimes our location allows us to do that because how cheap it was to enter. Sure. Um, I'll say this, like I say, uh, this is one of the things I talk to when we, I go to business events and we talk about money and getting started. And uh, there was about, I would say, total amount of money invested initially to get this business off the ground was $9,000. Wow. And I've never invested a single dollar outside of that $9,000 since then. Everything has been organically grown from that $9,000. You know, and I think right now we have 33 employees, so 33 wow. full-time employees. So that is um, it's pretty amazing to take something that basically everyone in the local area, not meaning our industry, but any people that saw us opening this business thought we were going to be vacating that building within a, a short period of time. They didn't think it would last. They didn't think it was possible for it to work. And, and it did. And they were right. We did vacate that building in nine months. And that's because we moved to somewhere bigger. But it's kind of funny. How that, that is works. incredible. How many how many square feet was the initial retail shop? <laughs> it's seven hundred fifty square feet. So it's like maybe two of my offices. It was very tiny. It used to be an old like hair salon and like the corner this corner building. And it was we were next to a like a, a walk in pizza place. You know, no no eat in. And then an Indian restaurant. And the Indian restaurant had the strongest sense. You know, I like the smell, but in general, like our clothes, when we, were, we had clothes on the racks that you could buy, it just had that curry smell in it. So I remember stuff in like, uh, like fabric sheets all in our air vents and stuff like that to try to get our place to smell different. But yeah, it, you had that nice curry smell in all of the stuff that we sold wow. back then. So 750 square feet. I was looking on your YouTube channel, currently in a 34,000 square foot showroom, full research development, office space. I mean, the whole, whole facility. Um, how long does that process, how long does that process take? So the transition from start all the way to where we are now. Yeah. When, when, um, when I mean, we've been in business 16 years, but, uh, we've had five moves. So this is our fifth building. This one I bought. So like all the previous ones were leases, 
we actually uh, moved from 750 to 2,500 to 4,000 to 10,000 and now 30 whatever thousand square feet. And really the whole idea was to kind of bring everything under one roof. And then we will be able to handle pretty much anything we want. We have room to grow as well. We have exterior space. We can do a lot of extra storage if we wanted to. But beyond that, maybe some distribution um, in uh, different facilities for shorter ship times. That would probably be the next growth phase outside of this. We do have some international distributors as well that operate under the Combat Corner brand name. But uh, for us, really that transition from 10,000 to 30,000, which sounds like a huge jump. If you would have seen us in our last location, we were packed to the gills. Like you couldn't move in the building. We constantly had to be moving. It was inefficient. It was in a great area. It was in a really nice area. We're right next to the Kohl's corporate world headquarters, which, wow. um, uh, you know, Kohl's department stores, things like mm-hmm. that. So, they, and they have, I think like 10,000 employees there. It's a, so we were like, uh, we were in a good spot and now we kind of moved into the city where we're from, where I'm from, where I, I grew up and things like that, which is in Milwaukee and the area we're in is, is a little bit rougher. That's for sure. But it was much more affordable as far as purchasing a building. And I stuck a lot of money into it. And the business improvement district in this area was really welcoming to us because they want strong businesses to come back to this area. Yeah, that is what an awesome story. So you start the business concept comes out of your head. You open 750 square feet. You stick with it. Um, through that process, there was a ton of different companies, brands, BJJ tournaments. I mean, a series of things that that went through. Uh, you got an an awesome roster of athletes that you sponsor across the, the UFC, Bellator, one championship, Jiu-Jitsu black belts. I mean, there's just a, a very strong roster. Where does this drive? Where does that come from? Um, I, I just always expect uh, better and growth. Like it's weird. Um, I have this weird thing, no matter what, even if I have a goal and I hit the goal, it's like, what's next always in everything. It's kind of sucks sometimes because you know, there is no rest. Like there isn't. And I'm a super competitive person too, but I believe in upon uh, abundance as well. So like the idea of, I love competing with people, but I don't hate them. You know, I don't dislike them. I don't wish them to do bad. In fact, if I can beat you and you're great, that makes me even greater. You know what I'm saying? So it's like one of those things where I just love the idea of, of upping. Like I can play, you know, like a garbage video game from back in the day that means nothing. And I'm just going to try to beat that high score. I'm always going to be trying to beat the high score. I go, I go with my kids to uh, Dave and Buster's and there's that, I don't know if you've ever seen that football game where you throw the football through the of three course. holes. Like I've been playing that my whole life. Right. But anywhere I go, if that game is there, I have to beat the high score. Oh wow! I will not leave until I beat that high score. And, and I'm so good at that game. I can always beat the high score because I've been playing it my whole life. But like, literally you would think, don't you want to play a new game? Like, no, I'm going to keep playing that and keep, and then after I beat the high score, then I'll go play something else. But like, literally I have to beat that score. So growing up prior to you training and starting at, um, at roof sport, what was your, what was your background? Did you play sports? Yeah, I I did. I played like every sport. I played every sport growing up. I was so like in today's age where you got one sport kids, it wasn't like that back then. You played like everything. I played baseball, football, basketball, soccer. I played everything. Um, But actually, my main sport was swimming. Um, I swam competitively from the age five till I was 17. Um, I don't really have the body type that makes sense for a swimmer. Um, I did it on a, a reasonable level. I was an all state swimmer. I, you know, competed at you know, all the big meets and things like that. But it really wasn't the greatest sport for me to be in. It was more of like my mom put me in it when I was a kid um, and I was pretty good. So it was like I stuck with it. You know, same thing with same thing with that. Um, you know, do I wish I had wrestled 
Um, yes, because I actually coach wrestling now. Um, and I have reasonable wrestling for MMA. I mean, I, I, I trained wrestling for a long time for that as well. But uh, I didn't have like that high school or youth wrestling um, upbringing. You know, and it's wild to even say that because my dad, he was actually a re reasonably high level, you know, wrestler. Um, I think some of that had to be, you know, where my mom put me in sports after my parents were divorced. But in general, uh, I yeah, I didn't get to wrestle. Um, and what's funny is my kid wrestles now and, she, you know, she's been in it wrestling jujitsu since she was five years old and, and she loves it. You know, and I love being part of her journey. That That is uh, that's phenomenal. So. What was the transition? What got you started in, in martial arts? Um, I mean, I think I was always like really into martial arts. Like when I was a kid, I remember going to, uh, my, my mom took me to a, you know, like a Taekwondo place. Like, you know, they give mm. me the uniform for 20 bucks or whatever, and two trials or whatever. And then they try to sign you. And then she heard the price and she was like, nah, you know, back then, you know, like a thousand dollars a year wasn't happening for us. We were, we were not in a, you know, good financial position. Um, so throughout my, my upbringing though, I was truthfully, I was, I was like a scrapping kid. I was constantly in fights. Um, and not saying that that's a good thing or anything. It's just what it was. It was reality. Um, and, uh, so when, um, I'd first seen, uh, you know, I think it was probably, you know, uh, one of the earlier UFCs or something like that. I was like, I want to do that. And my dad, like, I, I didn't see him that much. My dad wasn't around a lot when I was a kid. Um, from like the middle ages, I like until I got a car, once I got a car, I could see I saw him more and stuff like that. Um, but he was always the tough guy, you know, and uh, I wanted to be the tough guy. And I know that sounds that's not something that I think is cool at this age and whatever. But when I was a kid, I thought it was cool. I was like, I want to be tough. Um, so when I saw that, I was like, I want to train, you know, and, and those were the, that's how it started really is like found, a, um, you know, kickboxing gym, because there was no MMA gyms back then. It was went by Dukes to do kickboxing. And then I, uh, back in the day, there was only one real jujitsu school here in Milwaukee. It was uh, Matamoros Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm -hmm. um, and he was, he was a brown belt. There wasn't even any black belts in the state at that time. And he had just gotten his brown belt, I think. So, um, you know, like almost all the lineage in Wisconsin kind of came from Pedro Sauer through Henry Matamoros. And now there's like, there's, you know, tons of schools. Um, and then there's people that have, uh, you know, migrated here that, bring different lineage and stuff like that. But in general, almost everything, all the major schools in the general area kind of are like people that have all trained together, like school owner, school owner, school owner, school owner. We all trained together at one point in time. Wow. That's a, what an awesome story. So from, uh, from there you start training, what took you over the top to be able to say, okay, I'm going to put all this together. I'm going to start competing. I saw that you had uh, competed in the amateur circuit for a few years went pro um final record seven um five submissions uh, yeah seven wins five submissions um talk to me about just that that whole transition you know how did all that how did all that come to life so uh like i actually started kickboxing for like so i started kickboxing and then jujitsu shortly thereafter but i started kickboxing as in competition first Oh, wow. So I did that for a little while. Um, and that's because Duke's gym was a kickboxing gym. Like it was not an MMA gym. In fact, I'm one of the first guys that was fully out of that gym to fight MMA. Oh. Um, you know, and I came up and, and trained with, you know, like a lot of great guys that, you know, are some Hall of Famers even now. So it's really mm -hmm. cool. But um, really what got me to do the MMA thing is I said, I, I, I literally was like, 
I want to fight MMA. That was my, one of my goals, you know, and so Duke had one of his shows and I was one of the feature fights and it was, I believe it was the only MMA fight on the show. Cause it was all kickboxing show. It's in a ring. Um, and it was, you know, back when the rules were not regulated at all. So I think I fought like Valley Tudor rules or whatever, mm-hmm. um, which I love, like, I fucking miss that era. I love that era. Oh, yeah. like, that era is a different, I mean, I, I always talk about the difference between um, spectacle and sport. And I think MMA or no hold barred or whatever they wanted to call it back in the old days was spectacle. And it changed the sport somewhere around that 0708 era is it when was. the two divisions happened. Um, it was slightly earlier than that, but like it wasn't realized by the public. Right. Right. So almost, a lot of my earlier fights, you know, and some are, and some of the stuff isn't even recorded um, because they, there was no commissions. There was no there was nothing. So, um, and that's, that's what, I mean, kind of got me into that. I, I just really, uh, enjoyed hard training. I enjoyed getting better, you know, learning new things and trying to implement them. Um, and, uh, that was really it. And, uh, I, I don't even, I don't even know what the thing was that was like, Hey, you're going to start training and you're going to compete. I just thought that was part of it. Anything that I've ever done, you, you train to compete. Sure. Yeah, no, no such thing as a hobbyist. You just go. That's that's probably my biggest problem right now, to tell you the truth with anything, is uh, because I have a hard time being a hobbyist, and I've had that hard time for a long time. So um, I'd say maybe about five or, si- five or six years into my career, my pro career or whatever, I'd taken time to focus on this company because it was growing really well. I had kids. Um, it was paying me the money that I was making. Um, so I'd taken time and I was doing that. And then I, I actually, I did get, uh, I got shot in the leg and I shattered my femur bone and, uh, that kind of put an end on me ever kind of returning. Um, it was kind of one of those things where it was like, at the time when it happened, I, I had lost all movement below the waist. So they were like, they didn't know if I was going to walk again or not, but I, I did, I recovered pretty quickly actually. Um, but I had a really serious central nervous system condition. Um, that took about a year to to kind of overcome to be like normal. Um, I still had like even right now my foot's numb and stuff like that. But uh, it was one of those things that's kind of divided my life, right? And then now when I I train still and stuff, but it's not a priority to me at all. Um, but with we have a gym here, so like on like two times a week, I'll come in and we'll we'll do we'll roll, and it's a bunch of us old guys. We we we'll share a little technique and we'll roll. You know, and then some of our young guys who still compete and shit will come in. And we do the open mats and stuff. And that's really life uh, for me. And then I work with my kids. And, you know, that's that's really it. That's that's the what I put in as far as training in this sport now. Because before that, I was training every day, two times a day. Like, it was my life. It's what I – like, I needed – if I didn't put in that work, it would make me feel – like I didn't put in what I needed to do to compete and to, to win. I, I like, I would go in, if I underworked and I went in, I would doubt myself. Wow. I was, I was chatting with Eric on the way, um, getting set up here. Uh, I was, I was driving up and uh, I was asking Eric about, um, Hey, so do you train with, you train with Dan? He said, Oh yeah, Dan, Dan still gets on the mat. And he was, he was sharing about, um, he's like, man, I feel really confident about my jiu-jitsu game and my guard game. He's like, but man, when, and Dan's in my guard. It's like, man, he he lets me know that he's on top. <laughs> that I guess that's one thing that's a little different, obviously, from sport jujitsu to like like no gi heavy jujitsu, especially MMA inspired jujitsu. But like, 
I, 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 you know, that, that's not really exactly what it's about, but in general, yeah, I mean, uh, top pressure and pressure passing, things like that are come are, are kind of like ingrained in me just because space and control is uh, something you earn and is something that is detrimental in, in like say an MMA sport. Like if I'm on top and I'm controlling, I'm keeping that, I'm keeping the pressure, I'm passing and I'm working the positions where I can give you punishment. Right. Um, so like in a, and, and you're going to do that in other stuff too, but I, I, I'm not going to be doing slick, slick shit uh, because that's not really what my avenue was at the time. My avenue was about like safe, smart, controlling, you know, earning positions so that I can do something to you, that I can score points or finish you. Like, and, that, and truthfully, looking back, like I was always trying to finish, always. Like I never looked at like number of volume of punches or attempts. Like I, like if I went after a submission, I was trying to finish it. If I went after hitting you, I was trying to finish you like now standing or whatever. I may, I'm going to set things up. I'm going to, you know, jab, low kicks, things like that. I'm going to be slick, but really on the ground, it was like about trying to finish. You know, what's fascinating about just hearing you tell your philosophy around grappling and hearing how you are as a business owner, entrepreneur, operator, there seems to be a lot of parallel just in that personality of the way you approach your training and the way you've built your businesses. I am pretty aggressive. Um, and I think, uh, I think sometimes that's good. Sometimes there's negatives to the way I handle things, but, uh, that's the same thing with, uh, when there's, when there's a, a problem or an issue, like, um, I genuinely enjoy solving them but the process is not always the prettiest. I'll just say that. So that it, it kind of does mirror uh, that whole thing where um, my first response is like, like kind of uh, anger, excitement, whatever. And then idea. And then after the idea is putting it into, you know, explaining it to everyone and solving, you know, working together to solve the situation. And then afterwards being like, yes, <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's like this roller coaster to tell you the truth, which, which I can deal with because it's my own roller coaster, but I do know that it's not always easy for people to work with me. Um, so, so let me ask you, I'm going to bring you back to, to Rufus Sport 2004, 2005 is when you started training. Yeah. Roughly. I think uh, I, 2003, 2004, somewhere. I, I don't even remember exactly when I started, but yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, I think it was three, 2003. I mean, I think there's a lot of enthusiasts like myself that would love to go back and just knowing what Duke and and you guys have paved the way for uh, for that team have done. Uh, I'm sure that there's tons of people like myself that would love to have been back in that room or at least witnessed what was happening back kind of in that era. What were some of your fondest memories of training training back then? So, you know, like going way back, the gym was actually had, I think, uh, you know, there's with fight teams and stuff, there's peaks and valleys and they were, they were down. Like there was not a lot of people there when I first started, which I think gave me a lot of attention early, which helped me become who I became. And then as that built up, um, and that transition to focusing more on mixed martial arts, as opposed to just like Muay Thai or, or kickboxing, um, more and more people started coming because the high level striking, like Duke is one of the best, uh, striking instructors in, in, in the country you know, like period. In the world. Yeah, um, so, so at the time when guys would come and visit us initially, like Stefan Bonner, Pat Barry, um, Alan Belcher, you know, Ben Rothwell, guys like that, they, they would come and train with us and eventually they would do their camps there. All big guys. Right. So I used to spar with big ass dudes too, which is hilarious because I'm only a 135 pounder. Um, we had a really uh, like until like uh, the pet Anthony Pettis came around and, and, and some of these other guys and Anthony was a Taekwondo guy, you know, he started with us. I remember 
his first day at the gym, you know, like he was tough, scrappy and he had like, you know, fancy shit, but he wasn't who he is now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like when you think of uh, a lot of the things that established out of that gym, because I mean, for a period there, they were creating a lot of champions I and mean, they're still creating a lot of champions. You got Sergio Pettis is the Bellator world champion. That's out of there. I just seen him there like two days ago. So um, the thing is, is uh, my favorite thing is the stuff that people don't like anymore which I loved the, the, the hard sparring. I loved, uh, um, you know, like, uh, working hard and I, and I, and I love, we, we would still all talk shit, joke. And, and it was like, uh, we had a camaraderie and stuff like that. And it was a small team, you know, um, as it grew, that still was there and all that stuff. And you know, the, the hard sparring was still there. I don't know when hard sparring left the sport, but I do agree. And it makes sense. We are just too stupid to realize like that. It's not good for you to like, beat the shit out of each other that bad but people are still doing it behind closed doors even at this point and and there is a place for hard sparring i do not agree that hard sparring should be removed completely i just don't think it should be done excessively um but i i definitely enjoyed that i enjoy the fight you know like i enjoy uh that portion of it and then even the competition level of it but uh um it's like i worked on something i i learned something new i'm gonna try it you know i'm gonna i'm gonna actually put it into uh fruition in uh in, you know, a live sparring situation. That was, that was always fun for me. Um, the conditioning portion and shit was just stuff I had to get through. Right. Um, the technique is, is stuff that I love to pay attention to, but I really love taking the technique that we learned from that point or day or whatever it may be and putting it into action and seeing if it worked for me. And if it did, I would put it in my arsenal bag and it would be with me forever. Like it's, it's kind of crazy how that is. Like I do, that's the same thing in business. If I learn something, it's now something that I own that no one can ever take from me. Yeah. I wonder how much of that has to do with um, just kind of your background in, um, in swimming. Right. I I would imagine that there's a, just a high level of body awareness, a high level of just sensitivity to everything that's going on around you, controlling a breath. I mean, I would have a lot of alone time when you're in the water. Yeah. When you swim like 10,000 yards a day, you're in the water by yourself. It's not like you're talking to anyone. You're thinking like you're in your, your head, you know what I mean? So, um, and the other aspect is, is that, yeah, the physical portion of it. It's like, I, I hate running, but I, I, when I was fighting, I would do my road work and I still like think road work is important. A lot of people are like, you don't need to run or this, that, and, and that's their own decision. But I still think maintaining weight and, and, uh, just having that mindset of like pushing yourself to do something you don't want to do helps when you're in that competitive space. Like I ain't going to run now and my, plus my legs messed up, but, um, I run with my kid and my, I come back, my hips hurt, my knees hurt and stuff like that. But swimming in general is uh, one of the most physically demanding sports there is. I mean, for anyone who's ever done it, they understand that. Um, even people who aren't swimmers go and swim. Tell me how easy it is. Right. You know what I mean? In fact, if you're a bad swimmer, it's probably one of the best exercises if you don't drown because right. you're going to be working your ass off to not drown. Um, so, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think uh, I think that that led into the fact that I was willing to work hard because swimming, like I said, if you do like 10,000 yard practices and things like that, you swim two hours a day. Um, it's hard. Yeah, you can't hide behind a teammate. Yeah, gotta, it's, it's not it's be- not it's two different types of hard, though. Hard pushing yourself and keeping your mind and like I'm going to push myself versus hard because someone is beating the shit out of you. Right. You know, like um, that's that's the thing with uh, and that's why I, when I started training jujitsu, I loved jujitsu immediately because it was it was something where you could learn something and immediately put it into action. And it was just like, this is amazing. And you get 
reasonably good. And I say reasonably good because it's reasonably good for a new person. Because like at one month, especially back in the old days, you're like, everyone is horrible. Holy yeah. shit. Like a regular person versus you at one month is like, wow, people know nothing. So like when you take it years from there, it's like, you knew nothing even at one month, right? But like, that's how bad like regular people are. That's why when we talk about like regular Joes getting into fights and stuff like that, it's always kind of funny. It's like, it, there's no problem with it. I, regular people can fight, but it's funny when you have no training and you think you can fight. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> go into a jujitsu class with like some kids, like go, go in there with, let's say like it's a 15 year old kid that's been training like a year or blue belt or whatever and take the majority of the people off the street. I don't care what size they are and they're going to get, uh, beat up oh yeah they're gonna get choked for sure you know what i mean like it's not something that's to to be discussed really we all know this but it's just like with regular people they don't they still think like other variables matter and they really don't like outside of some freak whatever like you know like can can someone do something sure but in general in most cases it's it's i mean what nine times out of ten more than nine times 98 times out of 100 you know what i mean oh, oh yeah for sure yeah there's something special about jiu-jitsu superpower for sure and that's, that's the difference between that and striking or, or other forms like striking. Uh, it seems more rudimentary because it's like all there is, you're just punching. But like there's there's more variables in that because there's you, you're not really controlling the other person while you're doing the attacks. The other person still could, you know, I, I they're just different. But like, and that's what makes jujitsu great is because number one, you can practice and train pretty, pretty hard, full live, right? Without like really getting banged i mean you can get banged up and especially Boom. the older you get but like it's much more sustainable you're not going to spar hard five days a week in like in boxing if you do your, your brain you have no brain you're going to be brain damaged right and even in muay thai your shins get all beat up your elbows your arms and things like that but jujitsu still gives you that ability to do those things and I, that's what uh that's what allows people to get so good so quick um you know uh, that 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 format i love it yeah, no, I, I agree. Now, uh, I want to transition real quick because you, you mentioned something that I just put two and two together in my head. You had mentioned that you just have this passion for learning and competing and testing it out in, in the real world setting. Uh, part of your story is um, on top of building the retail business and the manufacturing company that you built and all the brands, you also played a big role in growing jujitsu uh, there in Milwaukee through, I would say through your tournaments. I would say I was a player in it. Like the, 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 the instructors and the school owners and stuff like that, they're owed the majority of that, but like the way to build um, something that was uh, uh, gave people a platform to really compete on. And it's crazy because it ended up being like, we'd have really high level competition at, you know, what I would consider a local regional event, but we would do them one to two times a year. And we were getting, you know, like 800 to, you know, I think our biggest one was a little over 800 competitors. And that's, individual competitors, not key competitors and no gi competitors. Mm -hmm. So um, if you did it that way, we'd have like 1600 because we like we did, we combine it. So you could do gi and no gi for one thing. A lot of the tournament companies will count like one person as two if they sign up for two divisions. We don't do that. Right. So we literally there were big ass local tournaments for the state of Wisconsin. You know what I mean? We get a lot of Chicago people, um, things like that. But uh, I think we started those in like 08 as well. So it was only one year after starting the, the combat corner. Um, and I don't know if you know who like Eric Schaefer is. Mm -hmm. um, he's a, he fought in the UFC. He's a black belt. He's been uh, around for a long time. He was one of my, I would say he was more, probably one of my main jujitsu coaches through that, my MMA career. Um, and he, he, he kind of helped uh, put on that first event. And then he was involved in like the second one. 
And then after that, um, it was just kind of doing, you know, utilizing what we had. But I think the first one we had like 80 people, you know, there was 80 people that competed in it, but it was still awesome. And everyone loved it. You know what I mean? It gave people, uh, you know, an opportunity to compete. Um, and then by the end we had them and they were that big, but we haven't done one since COVID. So we, we also moved into this building and we've been doing a lot of things. Um, we do have a gym space here. So we plan to do some like pretty cool, like pro style events and maybe some youth, uh, like micro tournaments and things like that. Um, the return to doing like big tournaments, uh, is, and has been on my mind for like the last two years. It's just, I have not had the time to really go back into pursuing doing them. Um, but uh, I, I believe that for 2024, we will be having, um, and we actually rebranded that. Um, it's called MB Grappling now. Um, and uh, that's, a, I have a partner that comes along with me on that. So, um, but I, I do think that the competitive nature of a local level tournament that kind of brought together all the best schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the beginning, all the best schools, a lot of the, the, the instructors were competing in it, which is great. You know, things change and, and now like a lot of people are either older or they don't want to compete anymore, or they also don't want to compete against other people in the local area and they don't want to lose to them. Sure. Um, that's what changes on the local scene too. <laughs> um, you know, people will go pay, spend, uh, you know, a couple thousand dollars to go compete at worlds and then come to our tournament the next weekend and lose. Um, <laughs> so, you know what I mean? That that's kind of fucked up. Right. And that's, that's reality. I, you know, like no, no knock on, uh, IBJJF or anything like that, but you, you, you got to pay to play. Right. It doesn't have the same qualifying circumstances that say like uh, USA wrestling does or some of the other sports, um, you know, like, uh, so that's the only thing I think about stuff like that is uh, I love the depth of like grappling and jujitsu because I think it is amazing. I just think that, you know, if it had more of a, a process to like who's competing against who and you're not paying to go there. Um, like maybe I, I get it. They're not going to cover travel or this or that, but in general, like if so-and-so is like, I got to work and I like, they're say they're the best in the world, but they got to work because it doesn't pay them to like, are you really the best in the world? You know what right. I mean? Right, right, right. So that's the only thing I say I, uh, about sport jujitsu. And like I said, I've been promoting sport jujitsu tournaments for, you know, 15 years. <laughs> so um, I was watching a video of you telling the story of the first event that you did. Um, and, and you had just mentioned that same, same situation of, you know, you, you started first tournament was 80 people. I mean, how did you, how did you start that? So that, where did that idea come from? How did that idea come into fruition? Well, I th- at the time Naga had been coming here and Naga did a really bad job. Um, so other people were like, we, we need something else besides Naga. Cause and Naga would Naga actually was killing it, but they just at that time and maybe still I don't know I haven't been to Naga in years. Um, mm-hmm. But they, uh, you know, they charged a crazy amount of money, and the experience was really bad. They booked a really tiny gym. They jammed everyone in there. People were there till like midnight. Um, and our goal was to create a legitimate tournament with single elimination brackets, but you compete in two divisions for very cheap where you come in, you compete hard and you leave and you're, and you're out by like four or 5 PM. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, competing two divisions. And we would, even when we got to, you know, like I said, 800 ish people, we were still able to do that. Um, and the biggest way that we were able to, to, to do that is each time we were like, I think, I don't know if tournaments at that time were really paying cash, but we were paying cash. So we had pro divisions, even in our first tournament, the one with 80 people, we did a, a four man, 
like cash paying. I think it was maybe like $400 or something like that. But, you know, we were all charging $40 for regular people to compete um, in two divisions, you know, and after renting everything and getting and I think back then we had a lot of favors though, too. So a lot of people were refing for free and stuff like that. But then we realized to make it more professional and make people accountable, you have to put money in it. Like people aren't accountable if you don't give them money. You know what I mean? I learned that. So like, we don't, I don't use volunteers for anything anymore. Like right. anything. If, you, if you're, if you're working for me, you're getting paid and then you're accountable to that payment. Right. So um, I think that was the big thing is uh, as we started paying the athletes. So we were getting good people to come out people and we would get people to be in those divisions that obviously had big schools. So the idea was like, we know that so-and-so is coming with 50 people. We know that so-and-so is coming with 30. We would, I would make sure to call personally invite and bring all these schools together to compete. And that's something I did all the way up till our last one. Even I, me personally would call these gym owners and be like, Hey man, this is what we're doing. Are you going to make it out personally invite them? You know what I mean? And I think those types of things go a long way too. Yeah. That, that level of, service and and relationship building and you know i guess traditionally you would call that business development um i mean that that's something that pays dividends always yeah and i respect these people you know what i mean so it's like for me to just expect that they're going to show up like number one that's dumb business like i need to know that the event i'm going to be putting on has people that are going to come so like every once in a while i'd be like i know i know let's say the top five schools that bring the most people Mm-hmm. Um, this is the date I'm going to choose. I would reach out to them and be like, Hey, does this date work for you guys? Does this date work for you guys? Um, and if, you know, four of the five were cool, I would probably run it. You know, I, I, ideally I'd want five of the five, but if three of them were like, yeah, we're, we have other shit going on. I'd be like, maybe I'll look at another date, you know? So, um, it was doing a lot of pre-work, them picking a date and then owning that date and then just marketing the hell out of it. And there was, there's so many ways to market stuff. You know what I mean? And, in this day, everyone's so caught up in the same exact ways to do marketing, which is fine. I mean, PPC and and social and all that stuff works. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but there's still, you know, your uh, a lot of traditional ways that have been abandoned by other people that that work. Um, and even those calls that I make, that's marketing. You know, it's. I mean, you could you could say it's sales at the same time, but literally that's part of it. Like that personal touch. Could I have just made a Facebook event and invited them? Sure. And of course we did that too, but like, we're going to touch these people as much as possible without annoying them. Um, and that's why that contact with, with, uh, that individual touch, especially on the phone, um, which I know people avoid the phone now too. So like we'll text people and shit nowadays, but, uh, but a communication to me, isn't me sending a message to someone. A communication is when they respond to it. Right. Um, communication is a two-way street. So like people will be like, well, I sent them an email. I'm like, did he respond? Right. And if they don't respond, then, then you didn't communicate, you know? So um, that's probably the biggest thing with my sales guys is I'm like uh, communicating with people means that there was, you know, words of communication back and forth between the two people. It's reciprocal. Yes. You sending out a text that isn't responded to or an email and you have no proof of them even opening it. And if, even if you do have proof of them opening it, why didn't they don't respect you enough to give you a response? You know? So then like, why is that? Figure out what it is that makes them think that you're not worth enough a response. Right. Um, Cause I feel like if you're, if, if you bring value, people are going to, you know, respond to you. Right. What well, what's um what's unique about that, you know, that just being part of your DNA and the way that you operate, um, you know, in all areas of your life, that's carrying over to your team, right? I mean, us being able to have this conversation in the first place was because somebody from your team that just, you know, watched you work 
and implemented, okay, I'm going to reach out to somebody and I'm just going to ask. And Generally, re- that's not our process though. So like <laughs> our process, we're, we're a warm company. So you're familiar with the different types of leads. We only deal in warm leads in, at Combat Corner. But because uh, uh, Undefeated is a new company, um, if he doesn't have enough leads, I was like, you can chase whatever you want. You can go after that. We do not do that here at Combat Corner though. Like literally we do not do that. And the reason being is because I don't want to be that annoying cold uh, hitter. Like we we literally um, have great enough content. We have uh, enough ads that will drive our warm leads that actually want to talk to us. So being a sales or an account manager in within Combat Corner is is actually I think one of the easiest sales positions because you're being fed like people that want to talk to you. I know people that and because I've worked in these positions too where you've done sales and it's cold. You have to deal with so much rejection and you have to feel like a pest, right? My business, I never wanted to be like that. So like, um, I would say maybe like seven or eight years ago, we fully switched to an inbound methodology and we only contact or deal with people that have inquiries with us. Um, of course, our existing customers, we may reach out to them without them reaching out to us, but they're already existing in our system. So it's not something where we're reaching out to someone who has no clue who we are and we're like, hi, buy my products. <laughs> The, you know, like we don't do that. Like that's the worst. That's the worst. What's funny is, is I was actually going to uh, um, comment on that because as I started to do a little bit more research on you and your organization and, and everything, I got caught in the combat corner web and like, man, it is everywhere. I opened my Facebook, it's sponsored post. I mean, just everywhere. And I'm like, man, that is so incredible what you're building. Uh, because again, once I had eyes on it, it had eyes on me. And again, all the various ads, your guys' content is phenomenal. Uh, I really like your logo, by the way, the, the lettering, the lettering in your logos is, is, is fascinating. Um, very edgy, right? It has a very clear, um, uh, I guess kind of a clear message, but it feels edgy, but very clean and, and, and dynamic. So yeah, whoever, whoever did that logo designs, you know, some, uh, some good work. Oh, nice. So uh, I have to say that like every product that like, I would say 99.9% of the products that we make, I've designed, um, all of our graphics, like when it comes to our logos and things like that, I've done it are mine. Um, so one of the weird things about like our whole process here is almost everything that we do, I did first. So like our screen printing department started with me. Our mm-hmm. sewing department started with me. Like I can go back there and sew right now. We have a full sewing division and everything like that. I can go back there and sew. Our, uh, you know, shipping, our sales, every single department that's here. Like I sat in that seat first. Wow. Um, I, I, like I'll buy equipment. I like even now we bought a big beam press. Um, we didn't know how to use it. I knew what it did, and there's a reason I bought it because we stamp out all of our stuff for our heavy bags, our uh, kick shields, and our throwing dummies and stuff like that. So we mm-hmm. make a bunch of USA made products like that now. Um, and we really pushed in that because COVID skyrocketed shipping container prices. So we could start mm-hmm. making stuff in the U S at a competitive price. Um, so I bought that beam press. I figured out how to, you know, design the dies, make the dies, how, how it create an operating procedure. And then I pass it off. You know what I mean? Wow. And that's literally what I've done in every single thing we do here. So like my hands are really in everything that we've set up. And then after the fact, I can walk around here and like, talk to people about everything that's being done and help troubleshoot shit and stuff like that. And it makes me feel really connected. Um, and, uh, I do want to bring on uh, a designer. Um, that's actually what we're, we're, we have two design positions that, uh, I just feel like I I'm stretched out too much at this point in time. So, um, one of them is specifically with product design and development, which has been all of me for like the last you know 16 years. 
Um, but I would love to bring someone in that can be, uh, you know, a, a counterpart to me, someone that I can collaborate with, um, someone who can do a lot of the finishing details. Cause when I do stuff, it may take me a really long time. Cause I get, uh, distracted a lot. I definitely have uh, shiny object syndrome where, you know, I'm like <laughs> a squirrel. Um, so it'll take me a while to do stuff. And then sometimes I just jam through things, but a person who can like stay on task and work together with well, um, and bring their own sense of, uh, design skill and, uh, knowledge. And I can pass knowledge off too to the right person, but that's, that's, that's one of the main roles of that we're, that we're looking to hire right now. We actually just went over our organizational chart and we have like eight new positions that we're going to be hiring. So, um, for our goals for 2027, because we always set our three-year goals out. So, um, and planned organization, what it's going to look like. So we should probably have about 48 people by the end of the, by, uh, 2027. So, well, so I want to, that was a question that I had for you. So you have currently 36 employees, correct? I think 34 right now. I truthfully, I don't know the exact number. It's somewhere around there. Got it. So third, call it, call it 35 um, team members that you employ that are part of one of the multiple brands inside of or under the Combat Corner umbrella. Mm-hmm. Um, what are attributes you look for as a business owner? What are some things you're looking for? We have core values. So like the, the, one of the main things, though, that's probably not even on the core value sheet is that you, you like you can show up, show up. <laughs> I think that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest obstacles sometimes is consistent people, even on the highest level, it's like, show up, be there. Like, I get it. There's, there's circumstances where you can't. And I get that. So like, you know, like, let's say you, you're horribly sick, or let's say that, you know, there's, uh, you know, uh, a death in the family, or, you know, a, a, there's a celebration for your, you know, your child or something like that. But in general, outside of that, if it's, if it's like, you can't show up on time consistently, that that's, that's a, an ender. Like you got to show up on time. Like this is the easiest thing to do. But outside of that is like a desire to learn and grow. Like, even if you're at an entry level position here, like my, my, my top sales guy, um, actually our production manager, he started in, um, uh, shipping, um, and mm-hmm. he's the full production manager. Now. My top sales guy, he started in printing. He, he, all he did was ran the heat press all day. You wow. know, he came he came in working from at a like a, a party store or whatever, and he's been here a long time. Um, and they've all had this desire to learn and grow. Some of them, it's just like this is a position I think you're good for it, and they may have been hesitant. But I'm like, they, they, I when I felt that they were they could handle it, and they have. Um, but that that desire to like learn on your own and uh, grow, um, become better at what you are or are going to be doing, um, is really on on you. Like you have to want to do that. No one else can force you. I learned that I can't force people to do anything. Like I thought I could, I thought I could like convince or or kind of coerce people into like being something they weren't. Uh, really I can help and provide, uh, give, give tools, things like that. But in general, like the person has to want it. Wow. Um, and outside of that, you know, like, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. I can't remember the word for word. And I don't do the hiring process anymore. So like we would always talk about those five things in the hiring process. I should know them, but um, <laughs> sometimes I get put on the spot and I forget stuff. I, I, I did get punched in the head a lot. So. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean the, the, the core value of a, or I guess kind of the core, corner, corner fundamental um, cornerstones of show up and be committed to learning and growing. I mean, those are 
intangible. Yeah, I mean, dependability, you know, like I said, showing up when you need to show up and things like that. That was probably one of the, uh, the stronger, stronger things that I've seen recently that, that causes us a lot of, a lot of issues. You know what I mean? Um, it's kind of weird to say that just showing up, you wouldn't think that that would be something that's so like groundbreaking. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, currently it is that, that self-motivation and drive that I talked about with that desire to learn and grow. Those are really, um, the, the basis of what it takes to be part of this company. If, if, uh, if you're just complacent, you, you know, you're not going to last here. So when we're hiring, I want to look and see and, and hear those things when we're talking, um, a resume doesn't mean much. Um, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to, you know, review it. And I, hopefully someone has some experience that would, that would bring value early on, but I know how expensive it is to onboard people. Onboarding the wrong people is is horrible. More so than just even the money lost, it's just the time invested. Like it's it's draining. Um, so that honesty level, that's that's the other. And now I just remembered honesty. Um, mm-hmm. We need people that are going to be honest, honest about to themselves, honest to us, um, and uh, you know, honest to our customers. Um, honesty is uh, a virtue that, like I think, uh, a lot of people kind of gloss over but in general it just tell the truth you know tell you know there's it doesn't mean uh it doesn't mean you know tell the truth when it's unneeded it means mm-hmm. when the truth is needed to be told tell the truth you know what i mean right. to yourself to yeah. anyone yeah absolutely so i got a couple of things before we uh before we wrap um i'd love to learn a little bit about uh is it called citywide oh yeah so uh tell me about um, that City Champs is City Champs. Uh, yeah. City Champs is the organization that we do. It's uh so I don't um I don't run the organization. My buddy Jared Bell is the president of that uh, nonprofit, and basically um he started that before we had this location. But when we were moving here, that was one of the main reasons where I was like, I'm gonna build this gym out um, because then I could give them a, a. And if you know, like people from Milwaukee understand, like the north side of Milwaukee is, in my opinion the least served part of Milwaukee. It's, it's, uh, you know, it, uh, doesn't have a lot of things that the other areas do. Um, so I thought it was a great spot to do that where we could give, you know, kids that don't have access to, uh, you know, quality instruction, or there just isn't really the option for it. And plus they can't pay for it. So, uh, this program brings in good trainers, uh, to work with these kids once a week in the gym. So we have a really nice high quality gym. They can just come in and train for free. You know, and that's really what it's about is to give them an intro to the sport um, and they can stay and do it as long as they like. And the ones that like it, you know, it, we can be like, hey, you know, talk to their parents. This is this is a, a gym that's near you or, you know, whatever, and see if we can get them in those types of gyms if they're if they really want to take it a little bit more seriously. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's been one of those things where I think it's it's something that I know the community when we came here, like the business improvement district was really happy with the fact that we we're going to do that. And I've been pretty dedicated to it. Like I stuck a decent amount of money into building that out without any idea of ever making money back on it. Cause I don't really care. It was mm. something where I was like, this is, you know, I committed to it. We're going to do it. And uh, as long as they need to use this as their home, they'll have it. Man, that is so awesome. That is awesome. Um, Touching your, um, you had mentioned your wrestling coach, your daughter's wrestler, uh, does jiu-jitsu as well. Um, could you, could you share a little bit about just, you know, what it's like being a, what it's like being a wrestling dad? Yeah. Wrestling uh, coach? So, I mean, my first thing when like my, cause I, I, I have older kids too. Um, they all started doing uh jujitsu because I feel like that's anyone who talks to me, 
period. They're like, what should my kid do? I'm like, jujitsu. <laughs> jujitsu, you know what I mean? Like anyone who does jujitsu knows why, like, what what are you talking about? Of course, jujitsu. Like, so, you know, and even when you have the parents that are still have their kids do traditional martial arts and stuff like that, I'm like, you should yeah, switch them into jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? So um, with my youngest, though, it's been a lot different where she's like really taken to it. Um, uh, she's been, like I said, she started both when she was five. So I waited for her to start. It's not like I tried to force her into it when she was like three or anything like that. But she made a lot of good friends in jujitsu. Um, but that platform to compete in wrestling um, youth wrestling, you can compete like every weekend. It's like twenty dollars mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So she's really taken to wrestling. I think she's she's only ten. I think she's had like three hundred plus matches. You know what I mean? She's wow. we travel the country competing. She competes at the national tournaments and things like that. We travel with dual teams where we compete with you know some of the best girls in the country. And what's and what's cool about girls wrestling is uh, really uh, because it's still small. It's exploding, but it's still small the teams will be like K through eight or K through 12. So she'll be partnered with, or, you know, alongside all these girls all the way up to like seniors in high school. And you get to really like see, and they learn and grow from that experience being around these older girls um, where it really helps. And it helps with, I think, uh, maturity level too. Um, But uh, you know, because of the fact that it's like K through eight or K through 12, like your weight has to be right. Not meaning that we're maintaining your weight, but meaning like if you're an eight-year-old and you weigh 120 pounds, you can't do it. That's mm. the only thing that sucks is those right. girls don't get the same opportunity. So like a girl that's say 60 pounds at eight years old all day, because almost everyone who weighs 60 pounds is going to be around eight years old at the oldest or nine years old. Mm. Right. But you can't have like an eight-year-old versus senior in high school. Right. And that's how some of that lines up by weight. Um, so I do feel that that's one of the things that needs to change in, in like women's and girls wrestling, which couldn't be controlled because the, the sheer volume wasn't there, but now the, the volume is there. And that's the same thing when we, when we were promoting our jujitsu tournaments is our women's divisions were tiny. And initially we, we called it an open, we didn't even have women's divisions. Um, there was, uh, eventually we started to get some requests and then eventually we got some complaints. So we definitely uh, implemented some women's divisions, but they were small. They were still like 135 and under, 135 and over. You know, they didn't have like seven weight divisions like the guy, you know, like we just didn't. And nowadays, I do believe that all of them should have weight divisions that are that are similar or equal to men in quantity, not meaning the same weights, but the quantity of weight classes. Because um, if you build it, they will come. And that's literally what it is with any sport, man, if you, if you give people the opportunity to compete, they will. And if you give them the opportunity to like build something, they will of their own. Like if you treat it like a a piggyback thing on the back of it, it never will. It'll always remain there. And that's what, where I've seen the biggest growth in the last five years in wrestling for women and wrestling in general, because all the growth in wrestling is coming from women. Mm -hmm. The men are pretty static, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. They, They might have a little growth, but the main growth in the sport as a whole is because of women. Um, so, you know, anytime there's that ability to give an opportunity to a group that may not have access to something and you give them that and you give them the same tools and the same opportunities, usually they're going to capitalize on it. And that's what we're seeing in, um, in, in women's wrestling. Um, wow. And it's pretty cool. There's a lot of opportunities that are popping up. Competition's getting tougher, the level of, of people. And, and I don't mean to just focus on girls, but I mean, my, I, that's my daughter is a girl. And a lot of the, the teams that I help or I do coach when we travel are girls teams. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where my head is right now is, is, is girls wrestling. <laughs> sure. 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 Yeah. That is awesome. Um, all right. So I'm going to circle, circle back kind of to, to close up a couple things here. Um, what do you do? You as a leader, right? So part of your philosophy around learning and growing, uh, constantly competing, testing yourself, learning, what do you as a leader do? Are you a, a book reader? Like what is a, what do you as a leader do um, for your own personal growth and development? So one of the biggest things that helped this company, so I would say about three to four years into, into the business, uh, I'd grown it to a point where maybe it was a little bit longer even than that. Um, we were just about hitting that million dollar range. And uh, we had, I think, three or four, four employees maybe. And I realized I was like, I was like, I didn't know how to take it any further. I'm not trained. I, I didn't go to school for business or anything like that. And uh, probably the best thing I ever did, and the best thing I would tell that guy who's fucking training in his garage to do, is go find a good coach. You know what I mean? So I found a business coach. Um, it's actually it was a reference from the same guy who uh, you know runs City Champs. Um, so there's a tie in there. Um, but, uh, basically I found my first, uh, business coach, um, started working with him and like, I mean, I learned a lot, you know, he didn't do anything for me. He just kind of listened and then gave advice and gave structure and, and taught me about systems and things like that. We would never be able to be where we are without those initial, uh, teachings. And a lot of that did revolve around reading books. Right. Um, and I still read books. I listen to books. I have horrible retention skills. Like I'm the slowest reader on the planet, but I still would power through some of these books, even if it took me like some people could read a book in a couple of days. It might take me months. Um, but like if I, I had, uh, I would say one of the first books that was like super important to me um, just to understand systems was like the E-Myth, you know, like a lot of generic books that people are going to remember, you know, and then even some like self book, self-help type books, like the, like the compound effect by Darren Hardy, which just oh, yeah. let me know like that, you know, there's a compounding interest on everything you do. Um, but beyond that would be like, you know, uh, what got you here won't get you there type books. Um, what else? Attraction. Attraction was one of the biggest things for how, like, I really focused on creating, you know, the structure of my business. And uh, that book was very difficult for me to read, but they have a version called Get a Grip, which is more of a fable based version of that same book. And I fucking that 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 allowed me to, I could read that. I read that in like a week. Right. Traction. I read over a course of time and I retained like this much. Right. I had to read it multiple times. I listened on audio. So there's different types of learners. And for me, um, I really have to if stuff is told to me in a story, I can retain it. If stuff is told me in like text style, like, uh, you know, encyclopedia style, I, I can barely keep any of that stuff. Um, but uh, the the. The main thing that I really learned from now at this point with what I'm doing is listening to other people's stories. Um, so I, I, I'm a big fan of uh, all the books that are about, you know, the big guys, you know, um, you're going to have uh, like Bezos, Musk, Jobs, whatever, even all the way into, say, like a Dan Gable, stuff like that, you know, George Foreman. Uh, the, you know, and then into like lean books because we do production and we, we like I think efficiencies are super important, like the Toyota Way. Um Oh, you know, like, so, and then the big thing about like the biographies and autobiographies is that, you know, like they're entertaining to um, mm-hmm. some of them, some of them aren't written that well, but uh, uh, that's really uh, what I like to learn from. And then the rest would be uh, mastermind groups. And when I say mastermind groups, I don't mean like these ones where I go to pay to hang out with people. Like I, 
my, my I'm in the organic groups with people that have nothing to do with my industry. They have nothing to do with ours. We're not networking. We're not trying to sell shit. We're literally trying to be better at business. And that's what I, you know, those are the type of people that I like to be in groups with where we meet, we talk um, and talk about problems. And, and some people have solutions to the, or face similar problems. And I learn from them. I learn from other business owners um, or I might take a piece from them. It's no different than going to a, a seminar. I always tell people like, people are like, I went to a seminar and I didn't learn anything. Or I went to a seminar and they showed so much stuff. I'm like, okay, what did you retain? What are you going to use? Well, I don't know. It's like, you only have to capture a little bit, right? So my thing is like, give me as much as you want. I'm going to pick the couple things that I want and that's it. Right. And then next time I may do more. But if you try to consume too much, you use nothing. If you don't consume anything, then you get nothing, right? But if you take as much as you can eat, you know, as, and utilize, you can put it into your arsenal. And that's what I was talking about before is that arsenal. Like if I truly learn something and I can prove that it works like quickly, I'm keeping that. You know what I mean? And uh, that's the same thing with business. Cause there's a lot, a lot of stuff is easier than people make it out to be. Um, there's stuff where I've struggled with forever. Like just, I remember our inventory issues initially. Like I, I battled inventory problems forever, like 10 years ago. And I would, I tried to learn. I tried to learn. I was like an asshole. Like I asked all these questions, but I didn't implement anything and shit like that. Um, and then eventually uh, I, I figured it out. You know, it's like, this is simple. This is what needs to be done. And it was in front of me. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I can keep ranting. <laughs> no, I mean, this is, this is phenomenal. I mean, I think this is the type of information that our audience, you know, needs to, needs to hear. And I think it reinforces, um, a lot of just kind of fundamental principles around, you know, jujitsu and business, right? Hey, find a good coach, try new things, you know, learn some fundamentals, apply those things. Um, man, this is, this has been uh, some great, great learning, great time together. Um, overall, um, how does somebody, um, well, you know what, before I even go into that, what's next, what's next for combat corner? To well, tell for, us first I was just thinking, cause biz jitsu, you know, the idea of the thing for jujitsu and business is simplicity is, is, is a virtue. Like I swear, like I think some of the main things that I see in is people over embellish, over exaggerate or overdo. like simplistic things are the key to success in almost, almost everything. Even in, even in like design, most people, when they first start designing, they like overdo it. You know, there's just too much shit. Right. Right. Um, Sometimes it's like the smallest little tweak and something here, it like, you know, like you just have to understand when something's done, it doesn't, it more is not always better. You right. know what I mean? And that, that even comes back to the idea of like where I was talking about training, where you train like crazy, you could train to the detriment, right? So you should know when, when you're at max capacity, when you've learned and retained what you can for that technique session, when you've put in the work that you need to on the mat for your physical wellness and things like that. I think, business and jujitsu uh and that combination biz jitsu i really love that um is the idea i think that core of it is when you get to a point of simplicity and you can kind of maintain that and grow that and like trim the dead branches and all that stuff that's that's when you be, are starting on that phase of mastery right um right. you never like truly master any of it but like the idea of getting to mastery is like learning how to do it in the the most efficient way possible that still allows sustainable growth, you know? Right. So sorry to get off subject. I just thought about that as we were talking about that. Cause I do love the name. So no, I love, I love that. I mean, that, that is, um, simplicity is 
overrated. I mean, uh, I guess underrated, right? Underrated. Underrated, (laughs) Underrated, not overrated. (laughs) What am I talking about? It's underrated. Yeah, I I agree, right? The one of the fundamentals that I try to, um, you know, just embrace is, hey, there's no trick place, right? It's, hey, we, we know... There's going to be some very simple fundamental things that's going to get us get us there and no need to get too fancy, right? Let's, yeah, let's when, you're, when, you, when you are at that phase of like really high level, you don't have to pull out the Hail Mary because you're not at that point. The Hail Mary is for when you weren't at that point and you're still and you're trying to trying to rescue yourself. It, now, don't get me wrong. Is is uh, speaking of like Anthony Pettis from before, is the Showtime kick cool? Is him jumping off the cage and spinning <laughs> kicking cool? Yeah, no doubt. But in general, like um, – if, if I could go out there and win with a jab cross or if I could go out there and win with, you know, just a standard, uh, you know, like old school, like uh, surfboard arm bar or something like that, yeah, like, sure. cool, do it. If, 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 if Like when Hickson was fighting in pride in the original, I think he won with all surfboard arm bars, which is hilarious. But yes. like he was able to do it that way. So why not? So, you know what I mean? Like sometimes if the simplest stuff's in front of you, why make it hard, right? Make it simple and uh, people will appreciate the simplicity, if it's presented and given to them in the, the, the right fashion, I believe. So, yeah. man, that's it's so cool to hear you talk because it even comes through in your design. Um, you know, I've been looking at your hat and, and the inspiration of that hat. I, I don't know what the inspiration is, but it makes me think of the the original L.A. Kings. That's LA literally Raiders. what it is. So that's why it's called a classic specialty. So classic specialty was actually the font name that they used to make those hats. But this is not classic specialty font. I use a different font because I didn't like the way. So that font itself has a specific look on certain letters. So I didn't like the way it looked. Plus, it's a copyrighted font. So I made my own. Um, but it still has that same play. And it's a little oversized. So like back in the day, you would see like a Los Angeles Kings or, you know, whatever hat. And it would be a little more compact. It would also be in the 90s. It was all flat embroidery. So like the idea of new era, three 3D embroidery with something bigger. But it's 100% uh uh you know uh, uh inspired by that that type of look you know what i mean and a lot of my inspiration i'm a i'm a i was born in 83 i'm a i'm a 90s kid you know what i mean i love uh 90s stuff and uh luckily still some people like that stuff right now i don't know how much longer that's going to be a thing or whatever but uh um i always work in stuff that hits home for me so uh you know and when i talked about the inspiration of things is like stuff comes from stuff um, you know, nothing comes from nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, I, I could tell because I, I'm a nineties kid also. And there's even in your, in your logo, right. There's kind of this like straight edge designs, very, uh, kind of graffiti inspired is what, uh, what I sense from that. And then also too, just in, in the, in the hat, you know, that's very, very simple, very direct, but it's, it's that mastery of the simple, of the simple things. I mean, it stands out in just the way your products are designed and and the way the look and feel of the brand, um, you know, that really comes through your, your personality, your DNA really comes through, um, you know, the overall end product. Type, typography, typography, text, things like that. Definitely from the, so like when I was a kid, we used to tag do graffiti stuff like that. Mm. So it was like, I was never, I like with my hands, I'm literally not very good. So, but digitally with a, a computer, I can, I can kind of uh, manipulate anything to be what I want. Right. Um, and I think that's the, that, that, that generation of, of that look and that feel, um, that definitely has, uh, transferred over, um, a lot of the super aggressive graffiti type stuff I pushed away though, and kind of stuck with the core of it because, um, that stays with simplicity, right? 
Um, and that's one of the things is like, even if you saw our second shop, our second shop, we had this back office that we had the showroom. The showroom was, it looked like a showroom, but in the back, the, everything was graffiti, like the whole thing. And it was, everyone would come back there and just tag and stuff like that. And you're like, okay, we want to put new stuff on. We just put new stuff up. And cause we were in this old feed mill, like we were, mm. it was like three section buildings. And in the back, it was like this old hardwood floor that was all beat up from when they had, like, I think they were still getting deliveries by horse and shit back then. That's so, crazy. um, but, uh, but, and so it had this cool look to it, but, uh, and it was all this beat up wall. So we just sprayed over them. Um, but like a lot of that does influence a lot of the stuff, um, that I like personally. Um, but I still try to be combat corner professional. So the idea was to have a professional aesthetic and not be too street, not be too whatever, um, but still have flavor. So that's what I always say when we design stuff now is like, number one, is it something that has a, a clean appearance, but has a little bit of flavor and, uh, in 10 years, are you going to be uh, embarrassed that you were wearing it? So I never want to make something that's so fickle, that's so fatty that like, yeah, it's super popular for this three months. And then like four years from here now, you're like, look at that shit. Oh my God. You know, like, oh, yeah. and that's literally been the focus of everything I design is that I want it to be able to be classic enough that it can be respected, but have a little bit of extra uh, pizzazz. You know what I'm saying? Like, like sure. uh, I, I call it flavor really like, and uh, the easiest way I explained that to other people back when was to be like, you know, like you got these really nice pair of jeans that you really liked, but they're, they just look like jeans. But then you pulled the pocket out and the pocket had a cool lining or something like that. No one else saw that lining ever, but you did. And you yeah. thought it was cool because of that. Those are the types of details and features that I dig um, that I think uh, kind of separates, you know, whatever. And it's not about doing it everywhere. It's not about overdoing these pieces of flavor. It's about doing it in the correct amount. You know what I mean? Like if you overdo um, that, that's like when it gets gaudy. That's when it gets, uh, you know, something that's just like too much. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's super cool, man. I don't know if you, I don't know if you see this behind me, that Chaka. Yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a piece. That's actually done by Chaka, the actual artist Chaka. That's pretty uh, fucking cool. Yeah. And then I don't know if you see back here, if you can see this, this is. Um, yeah, you got a nice. Yeah, Beyond the Streets, they're. Um, you know they're out. It's here. got a back over here. I didn't even realize that. That's actually um, it's that's actually from uh Ken Block. Um, rest in peace. You know who Ken Block is? I don't. I don't. Ken Block. He uh is uh he's the uh, founder of DC Shoes. Um, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then he uh he uh eventually became like a rally car racer and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Really cool guy. Been in um the industry uh, or uh, extreme sports like his whole life or whatever. I, he passed away last year. Um, but uh. He uh, trained Muay Thai. He's been training Muay Thai for like 10 years. And uh, a lot of the different trainers he trained with used, utilized our stuff. So we got connected that way. Um, and in fact, I made him like custom gloves and things like that. And over the years, he would send me stuff. He would send me, you know, like frame pictures like that one's uh, signed. And like he would just send me gifts and I would send him gifts. And like we made him like his own signature. Like he's the only probably non-athlete that had a signature pair of our gloves made. Um, wow. And we did it in his unique cyan color that he did his cars in and stuff like that. Um, but that has some pretty cool hand style on it with a, with a fat mark, you know, a fat, uh, paint marker. So, drip on it. Yeah. yeah the, the drips are where you got to have some nice drips. You know what I mean? <laughs> that is awesome. Well, cool. So, um, the audience, before we close out, how, how does somebody learn more about you, learn more about combat corner, learn more about some of the brands and some of the things that you're, you're building on? I mean, number one, we our website combatcorner.com. Of course, uh, Instagram combat 
CRNR doc, uh, just combat CRNR. So CRNR is, uh, you're going to see, uh, that's, that's literally what our brand is at this point. Almost everything you see, it's, so this is written out, but this is just a style of a hat, but you'll see that CRNR logo. And then you'll see the C icon, which is, you know, like our C icon you see on all the gloves and everything like that. Um, but, uh, uh, eventually our website will be shifting. We do own the domain CRNR.com. So that'll be switching over shortly, but, uh, in general, we're still be known as combat corner, uh, verbally, but, uh, really visually you'll see it as CRNR, um, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, any of the platforms you can find us, uh, either with this, uh, combat CRNR or combat corner, you know, whatever. Um, but as far as just staying in touch with us, really, uh, I would say, uh, you know, the main social media platforms is going to keep you the most up to date as far as like actually buying and interacting with us. Our, our bit, like really we deal with gyms and schools on a really heavy basis. So we do a lot of direct to consumer, meaning our customers are, you know, everyday people that train, that compete, you know, that don't compete that whatever, but like really we deal with a lot of school owners that buy our products to resell to their students. We do a lot of custom solutions, things like that. Um, and those type of people can definitely contact us and reach out and set up accounts through our website and then, you know, deal with account managers and stuff like that. But, um, we're, we're, like you said, once, once you, once you traffic us, you're going to see us everywhere anyways. So for sure. Yeah. Once you we got have, it's that Raz effect though, too. So obviously we do a lot of work to make sure that happens, but for the people that aren't familiar with us, um, there's a lot of people that are, cause like I said, we, I mean, we're a pretty big company now, but the That's people right. that aren't, cause every once in a while they don't, once you hear about it. You'll see it everywhere. It's just like the the idea when you buy a car and you're like, you didn't notice that many cars on the road until you bought it. Like they didn't just appear. They were there. You just didn't right. know it. And that's us. So the people that don't know us, um, pay attention because all of a sudden you're going to see us everywhere. Like literally we are. I mean, you can't watch it even a, like a, a UFC countdown. You're not, you're going to see us. You're going to see us in glory. You're going to see all the major fight organizations. The one area I could say it's a, we're, we are a little bit weak, but we need to improve that. I mean, we're not at the world's right now. So I'll tell you that, but like in general, we sell an insane amount of geese. We, we, we do uh, our Academy geese program is huge. Like we have thousands of academies that buy their geese from us and we patch them for them and do all that stuff. Um, so that's probably the one area where we can focus a little bit more with this brand. But like I said, we do have the other brand BJJ life, which focuses more directly on just jujitsu. Um, and that's a brand that, you know, we'll probably be pushing a lot more over the next year or two. That's awesome. Well, listen, it was a pleasure. Um, hopefully, uh, everyone had a chance to be able to get some good nuggets from, uh, from today's episode, Dan LaSavage, founder and CEO of combat corner, 16 year old, uh, pioneer, in the combat sports uh, equipment manufacturing, uh, I guess, kind of uh, brand and, and, and organization out in Milwaukee doing some great things, growing uh, from a 750-square-foot place into an international distribution company. So congratulations on all your success, Dan. Look forward to uh, continuing doing business and business jitsu or biz jitsu with you. Uh, and again, appreciate you so much. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, man.